Tennessee native Julie Smith Vihill first experienced Philmont as a reluctant 13-year-old mountain trek participant. Afterwards, she told her parents she was going to move to New Mexico as soon as she could. Julie did just that, and she never left. Julie's Philmont resume speaks for itself, so sit tight, everyone. It's a long one. As a participant, Julie went on two mountain treks, one in 1981, the other in 1983. On staff, Julie worked 1985 in the Trading Post, 1986 and 1988, PTC Group Leader, 1989, Assistant Program Manager, 1990 and 1991, Associate Director of Conservation, 1992, PTC Services Manager, 1993, PTC Seasonal Registrar, 1994, CD Santa Claus, 1995, CD Clark's Fork, 1996, CD Miners Park, 1997, Logistics Manager, 1998, CD Cimarroncito, 1999, CD Baldy Town, 2000, CD at French Henry, 2001 and 2002, Backcountry Manager, 2003 and 2004, Logistics Assistant Manager, 2005, Backcountry Manager, 2006, Logistics Communications Manager, 2007 through 2010, Assistant Backcountry Warehouse Manager, 2011 and 2012, Mailroom, 2013, Assistant Backcountry Warehouse Manager, 2014, Backcountry Warehouse Manager, 2015, Mailroom, 2016, Mailroom Manager. In 2017, she took a summer off. (laughs) And in 2018, 2019, and 2021, she was the Special Projects Coordinator. So among the many jobs that Julie worked at Philmont, PTC Group Leader was one of her favorites, as well as holding claim to being the first female camp director at French Henry. Today, she is a school teacher in Cimarron and continues to work at Philmont in the summertime. In fact, she told me recently that after much consideration, she accepted the offer to be in the distribution and support role this upcoming summer in 2022. As many of you know, this role was previously held by the beloved Jean Schnell, and Julie said, quote, It would be an honor to try and follow in Jean's footsteps. In this episode, Julie also shares her experiences of being met with disapproval as a female at Philmont in the 1980s and how she had to work extra and twice as hard to prove herself. She was repeatedly asked by management to step into different departments and new roles, always saying yes, embracing the scary but exciting challenge. Julie finishes off the interview with some fun ghost stories from her time at Baldy Town and French. I think everyone will enjoy this episode. Julie has made a significant impact on Philmont, on many of the staff members and participants. So thank you, Julie, for sharing your story with us today. Let's hike on. All right, Julie, how are you today? I'm good, Caitlin. How are you? I'm doing really good. This is going to be fun. You have worked at Philmont for for a very long time and in so many different departments. So I'm really excited to chat with you today about, about all of that. But let's take it way back to the beginning of your story. 
I know you went on a mountain trek in 1981 and 1982. Was that your first time ever at Philmont or hearing about Philmont or when did Philmont come into your life? Philmont came into my life in 1981 when my father told me that we were going out to New Mexico from Tennessee and that I was going to go hiking in the backcountry. And I believe I was 13, 14 years old, charming teenager, and not very happy to be going cross country in the summer. I could be at the pool. Instead, no, we're headed cross country to somewhere I've never been, never heard of. And I went kicking and screaming, didn't know I had an option of not doing the mountain trek. Did the mountain trek, loved it. We went north country, came back, and then, of course, we left kicking and screaming. Yep. <laughs> and I, ever since then, I even told my parents, I said, I am moving to New Mexico as soon as I can. And I did. But that was, that was the beginning of, I guess, my Philmont career. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> do you have any like specific highlights or memories from that, either of those mountain treks? I do remember on the, on the first mountain trek, we were at Dan Beard. It was a trail camp and it was Christmas. And so we all had to go out and make something from nature to give to somebody. And then all the crews that were there, we all got around and sang Christmas carols around the campfire. So when you say it was Christmas, is that the Christmas in July, Philmont Christmas? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Well, yeah. It was called Christmas back then. Yeah. I, I know because that's something they don't really do anymore. Was it on, was it on July 24th, 25th? 25th, yes. Do you remember what you made? I have no idea. <laughs> I do not remember. I'm yeah. sure it was something with stones or sticks. Yeah, very. That's fun. That's creative that they like invited the participants to participate in that with that. Uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. So then you uh, you came back and worked on staff. What was your first year? Let me pull this up. Sorry, hold on. 1985. My dad was very excited that I got hired on at Philmont. I had just graduated from high school in 85 and was going to go out to New Mexico and work. I started having second thoughts and trying to figure out how can I get out of doing this? But my dad had told everybody he was so proud. And I thought, I can't not go. So I'm petrified. I go out to, you know, 18 years old, never. I mean, I've been away from home, but not for three months. I get out there it's after dark when I finally get there. They have to, in logistics, they have to go find me a tent. And that's when I met Chris Standard. She was my tent mate. Oh. Uh, Chris McCarthy back then. I remember Mitch was there also, and they asked me to go to the staff lounge. And I said, no, I'm okay. And they left, and I cried myself to sleep. Oh, no. <laughs> and I, I just... I just wanted to go home and that was it. I never looked back after that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes it's just like a good cry and then, you know, tomorrow's a new day, but that's funny. Um, so she was your tent mate for that first summer. Are you guys still close? Do you guys still friends? We, we do. It was funny because we lost track of each other 
back then, you know, that you didn't have social media. There was there was no way to really, unless you called each other on the old fashioned phone or wrote letters, you you kind of lost track. But I believe it was around ninety seven ish. They came out to visit, and I bumped into them. Yeah, and of course we just picked up where we left off and and because of social media and because of the PSA, we have been able to keep in much better at touch. I, I love that about Philmont Friendships. You really do just like pick up where you left off. So I'm glad that you guys were able to do that. Then you did, you stayed, you were, you, well, you worked seasonally for, for several summers in so many different departments. Like I said, treating post, then you went over to uh, PTC, conservation. I mean, um, Backcountry logistics, backcountry warehouse, mailroom, it goes on and on. Um, <laughs> some things that stand out to me here looking at this list, you were the camp director at Santa Claus in 1994. Now, today, is that a camp? Is that camp open? Is that a staff camp again? Santa Claus is a staff camp again. After the fire, Harlan moved to Santa Claus. Okay. So the, pro- okay. the Harlan program, the shotguns have moved to, to Santa Claus. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know for listeners who maybe were unaware of that. Because when I worked at Philmont, Santa Claus was not a staff camp. But back in 1994, what was the program there? It was forestry, mountain technology, and weather. Okay. It was usually the camp that crews went to after hiking Baldy. Okay. Um, Oh, it was also astronomy. And so we had an astronomy program in the evening, which a lot of crews, especially advisors, did not want to stay up for because oh, they were oh. tired. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun, and it was it was a staff camp for five years, uh, and there was four of us on staff. But it was it was a lot of fun. We did most of our program was in the evening. I mean, I I got up there once uh, when I was on seasonal staff, and it was a beautiful camp. It was like again, no one was working there at the time, but just the kind of little meadow there and everything. So I'm glad to hear that it's back and running and people are getting to enjoy it. Um, What part of your seasonal employment would you like to focus on and share about? Because it's just so lengthy. (laughs) (laughs) In a great way, in the best way. Right. Well, I think when I moved over from the trading post to PTC to be a group leader, That was not my first choice, but I loved it. We had so much fun. I actually stayed there and did that for several years. It was one of my all-time favorite jobs at Philmont. It was was a lot of fun. Also during that time, at one point, the Pony Wrangler was let go and they needed someone to fill in and I was volunteered so I got to be Pony Wrangler for the last like three weeks or so of of the summer. That was a lot of fun. I got the opportunity to work in conservation for a couple of years, and, and I was in charge of the trail crew programs. Lots of fun. Thoroughly enjoyed that. And then I ended up back at PTC for a couple of years. And during that time, I kept pestering Doug Palmer to let me be a camp director. Once they finally let, because when I first started, girls were not in the backcountry. And once that finally happened, that's what I wanted to do. 
And I, I pestered Doug and pestered Doug. And finally, in 94, he, he, he gave in. And, and so Santa Claus was my first year in the backcountry. It, it was interesting because I had never been a PC. Right. So to go, I had been in management, but I had never been a PC. So to go straight into being a camp director and I was nervous. And what if I mess up? What if I don't know anything? But it, it surprisingly went very well. Next year, I worked at Clark's. When after Clark's and Doug had asked me, I remember he said, what do you want to do next year? And I said, well, I could work at Miners just as an afterthought. And that was all it took. My name went down. I worked at Miners that year. After Miners, Doug had asked me to be the logistics. They had wanted me to be the logistics manager because the manager wasn't coming back and they didn't have anyone in mind. So I got moved into that. That was an experience. Um, never having worked in logistics, but it was it it, it was a, it was an interesting summer. I was very excited to go back to being a camp director. I I did I Cimarroncito, then Baldy, and then finally French. And the funny thing is, every year when I would apply to be a camp director, I except for the first year, but I always put down things like. Miranda, Black, and Clear Creek. And I put that down in just random orders every year. And every year, Doug would call me and say, where do you want to be? And I would say Clear Creek. And he'd, he'd sigh heavily, say, that's not going to happen. But finally, in uh, when I was at Baldy, he had told me that I had a better chance at French than the other places. So I gave that a try. And I was able to work at French, which was so much fun. Thoroughly enjoyed that. Was that, would you say that's one of your favorite summers or favorite camps? I think so. I, I love the North Country. I'd say the North Country is definitely my favorite. What did you uh, love about, you know, Clear and Black and Miranda? Why did you want to work there? Well, I think with, I think part of it is because I couldn't. Uh, I think that was part of it. And also Miranda's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I I love that. Um, I I enjoy working with guns. Um, Sure. Yeah. So I I really wanted to work at one of those camps, Uh, Clear Creek, another just gorgeous camp, obviously black is gorgeous. And I I like the program. Yeah. Of all three. I, I just thought that those camps would be a lot of fun. Yeah, they would suit you. And I, I'm very glad that they are starting. I know women have started working at Miranda. So I'm glad to see that some of these camps are opening up to to girls also. You went on in 2001 and 2002 to be a backcountry manager. Well, okay. First of all, do you hold? Do you know if you hold any titles of being the first XYZ at Philmont? First female at French. Okay. First female camp director, I guess, because Georgia was my PC, uh, another girl at French. Um, Because women were not in the the backcountry and they were not in a lot of positions when I first started, a lot of positions I think that I got might have been, I may have been one of the first females just because women hadn't been in these roles before. And that women were just starting to come into these roles. 
That makes sense. Yeah. I do know I was not the first female backcountry manager. Amy Long was there the year before me. How did you like that role? Did you like the backcountry manager role? What was it like in in the early 2000s? I I liked being a backcountry manager, but it was hard because I really like being a camp director. And I fought being a backcountry manager for several years. Doug would ask me and keep saying, no, I want to be a camp director. I want to be a camp director. It's finally, finally I did it. and, And I did miss being a camp director. I think that being a camp director probably was my favorite job. Me too. That was my it, favorite. Yep. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of a lot of driving, a lot of hauling of garbage, yeah. a lot of yep. hauling of people, which right. that was fun, you know, talking to the people and, and getting out. Uh, and it and it definitely had some some fun parts, the the meeting all the different people and more stories than I can probably remember. And I did that for two years and I thought that it was best. I told Doug that we needed to give someone else an opportunity to come up and become a backcountry manager. It's not something that I wanted to to stay at Philmont and do continuously because I think my my management positions at Philmont have helped me a lot in life. And I wanted to make sure that other people also got opportunities to be in these positions. And then you you did return to logistics, it looks like. Was that by choice? <laughs> it, actually, it was. It was. A- after I had left the, the backcountry manager position, and then I got married in 2003. So I only actually worked half a summer. And then I came back, and I worked half that summer in logistics. I came back, worked in logistics again for Dwight, and I told Dwight that if I could be in the radio room all day long, that I would prefer that as opposed to, I was a horrible trip planner. I forgot things. I'd forget their meal tickets every single time. And I liked being in the radio room. I liked being on the radio. I liked listening to what was going on. So then when I came back, I don't remember what year it was. I think it was in 06. They first started this position, the communications manager. And that was the the logistics manager in charge of the radio room. Perfect. And I was told, you know, well, be careful what you wish for. But that was a lot of fun. It was a different job because I wasn't used to listening to the radio all the time. And then you transitioned to working sort of back and forth between the backcountry warehouse and the mailroom, which is when I remember meeting you, that was your role. Uh, And that's kind of where you've been for a while uh, until recently doing special projects coordinator. But what's, um, yeah, what's kind of the, the world of Backcountry Warehouse and the mailroom and that culture like for you? What do you enjoy about that, that part of Philmont? Well, the the, the mailroom, I had, I had asked to work for them in the mailroom. I thought, you know, that'll be a, I'll, I'll be at Philmont. I will have minimal responsibility. You know, I teach all all year long. And so then when when the summer comes, I wanted a little more relaxing job. And I thought the mailroom would be fun. And it was a lot of fun because I met all the staff and almost all the participants. And lots of conversation, lots of stories. It I, I thoroughly enjoy meeting the participants 
and, yeah. and talking to them, talking to the staff. So that was a lot of fun. And I, I was in the backcountry warehouse for several years working with Johnny Uliberry and loved it. It just was, Doug just let us run. He knew, he said, you know, we, you know what needs to be done. And, and we tried to get it done. Um, and that was, that was fun because I wasn't in the back country, but I was close. Sure. Yeah. And the reason that I actually went to the mailroom first was because my husband transferred over into the back country warehouse. So I could no longer work there. So that I, I transferred over to the mailroom. And then when he left, I went back to the, the back country warehouse, did that for a couple more years and then switched back to the mailroom. I, one thing I did like with the with the backcountry warehouse was you we were like with a camp director, you know, I mean you're you're your own boss. You're you're kind of on your own to make sure everything gets done. And that's pretty much how we were at the warehouse. Um, Doug let us do what we needed to do. We got it done. Um, it just we we were the people that anyone could come to and say, this is what we need. And we would figure out how to make it work. Yeah, you guys made it happen. I remember, I remember you guys being a good team and uh, really helping the backcountry function smoothly. So, hopping back a little bit, you mentioned in two thousand three you got married. When did you move to Cimarron full? When did you move? Yeah, move to New Mexico full time. <laughs> so, in when I was at French, so that would have been two thousand. Doug Palmer called me on the radio and told me I, I had an interview. And I said, an interview for what? And he said, for the Cimarron school system. And I said, okay. Uh, so he had set up an interview for me, apparently. And, and I came down, applied, got the job. So it was in 2000 that I moved to Cimarron. I had already been down outside of Santa Fe for a couple years. And then I, I went ahead and applied both both for the middle school and the high school, and I got the high school math teacher. And so I have been at the high school and middle school here in Cimarron since 2000. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. And you you live in Cimarron today, is that right? I live in Miami. Oh, you do? Okay. I didn't know that. Yeah. So what was it like moving to New Mexico, that being your dream back when you were a young mountain trekker? <laughs> It, it was scary. It was exciting. The, oh, I think there's a pattern here. The first week of school here in Cimarron, uh, after that first week, I can't, I can't, well, after school, I went, to, I was living in Cimarron at first. I went to the corner store, bought a six pack of beer, came home, sat on my floor because I didn't have a couch. And turned on the TV and drank that six pack of beer, watching TV and crying. Because I thought, what have I done? <laughs> so uh, I, I don't, I can't say I cry all the time when I get something new, but apparently. <laughs> yeah, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, it takes a lot out of you. So I get it. Once I got into to the, the groove of it, once I got to know a lot more people, 
And once I learned all the teachers' first and last names and the kids' names, it thanks got a lot easier. I love it here. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. Good. I'm really glad to hear that. I just think it's really cool that, you know, you're able to work at the school and then in in the summertime you get to still work seasonally for Philmont. That's a beautiful dream that you're living. And I, I know Philmont's really lucky to have you come back every summer. And I know you do a lot in all the seasons of Philmont. So so now that we've kind of run through all the different places that you've been <laughs> at the ranch, which is incredible, in any of those roles that you worked, was there ever something you were called upon to do that like really ch- challenged you or grew you or something you, you never thought you would have had to do? Well, there was, like I mentioned before, when I had to be the pony wrangler. All right. That, yep. That was a little challenging. Uh, <laughs> I had worked around horses, not ponies. Big difference. I, I was young enough to not realize that I didn't know what I was doing. So uh, I got through that one okay. Uh, I went, when I went to conservation, everyone, there hadn't been many females, I don't think, in conservation at that time. I think maybe one or two before me. And when I came over there, I came in as an associate director. So I came in as a manager and they're all looking at me about, you know, why are you, why is she here? She worked at PTC. I have, I do have a forestry degree and I do have some knowledge in conservation. And I think that was part of it. And it took a while. It was hard to prove myself. So I had to work extra hard and do twice as much as someone else might, you know, not have to have done. So that was definitely, um, that was a challenge, but I, I, I do believe that I did prove myself and that I did gain respect. Um, it did take a while, but I was able to finally do that. Being the logistics manager that I, I called the previous manager a lot and ask, what do I do? What do I do? I did ask when I was a logistics manager, I had to ask the director of program if I could wear gold tabs because I was short female. I I believe I was 30, but I looked a lot younger. And so advisors would not take me seriously. So I wore class A's with gold tabs. That way, when I said, no, you can't do that, I got a yes, ma'am, instead of an argument and let me talk to your boss. Um, So that was... That was interesting. And and that was, this is one thing that I think a lot of people don't see as much at Philmont anymore. And to backtrack even a little bit further, in 85, when I was in the trading post, I was working a cash register and I told a gentleman that I could help him. And he told me, no, I'll wait for the guy. And so um, I got a lot of that in, in the beginning of, you're a girl. Why are you at Boy Scout camp? You're a girl. You can't wear red tabs. You're a girl. I'll talk to the boy. And, you know, I just, I kind of blew it off because nothing I can do about it. I just said, okay. Uh, and, And so there was still a lot of that. Even as a camp director, I would get that some of not wanting to talk to me because I was a girl. Uh, but I, I think that that has improved a lot. 
I know you were, you were in the back country after me, so I don't know if you experienced experienced any of that. That was that was one of the tough things to deal with early on. There's a couple of memories in my head that stick out where where I ran into things like that, but not near as much as I, I think probably what you encountered. You you're confident in who you are, maybe even at a young age, and maybe Philmont helped facilitate that. Uh, what would you say? like your management style at Philmont was just for fun? <laughs> um, it, it definitely changed over the years. When I was first, I think it was at PTC when I was assistant program manager. That was probably my first management position ever. Was I the best manager? Probably not. Did I make a lot of mistakes? I'm sure I did. Did I do things wrong? I'm sure I did. Uh, I I think I got a little better. I, I learned a lot, honestly, from Doug Palmer. Doug was all about delegating. He said good managers delegate. So so I did try to be more of a of a delegator. I did try to, especially as a camp director, include everyone and not necessarily be the dictator. It was, you know, we're a team here. We need to, when when stuff hits the fan, then I have to step up. But otherwise, we're working together. And and I tried, and I know sometimes uh, people that know me will understand this. I'm very bossy anyway. I mean, just naturally bossy. So I think that comes out a little bit. I try not to, but it, but it still does. And I do know... My first years of backcountry manager, I, I got some serious life lessons because I was still trying to be a camp director. And some of the camps I had were camps where I had worked. And I, I went in trying to be the camp director. And I had a camp director sit me down and tell me that I needed to back off. Um, and, and so that was kind of a hard lesson to, to realize that, oh, I am not, I don't run this camp. They run this camp. I'm just here to support them if they need anything. So I really had to uh, um, to step back and and reevaluate a few things and on on how I did. Sometimes I I think I might be, you know, maybe when I was the mailroom manager, the backcountry warehouse manager. I think I was maybe a little too laid back, but. You know, people need to step up and and get the job done, and that's what I expected them to do. They knew what yeah. they had to do. I made it clear and expected them to to do what they needed to do. And so far in my dealings, that has happened. Could you think of any role at Philmont that you uh, like a job you wish you could work, but you never did? Obviously, it was uh, clear, Miranda, and black. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say you could go back now and do it, right? <laughs> and, and I have been. There's been, there's been a few times that I think this summer, I think David even said, "Do you want to be a camp director?" And I said, "Well, yes, I do." Yeah, don't tempt me. <laughs> I don't yeah. think my husband would like it, but <laughs> honestly, those are probably. I, I wish that I had been able to do those. I was backcountry manager for all those camps. So that that was nice. But I don't think, I, I was just going to say, I think I've been very lucky in being able to do so many different jobs that I've had the opportunity to, 
to work in different places and I've enjoyed them all. I think it's it's curious to hear how Doug Palmer really kind of challenged and grew the people that he managed. You know, I don't know if it's like that today where you get a call and you're you're asked to kind of step into a completely different department or completely different role outside of maybe what you've done for the past three summers. I don't know if that happens anymore. Um, and it's neither here nor, nor there necessarily, but I think it's, I think it's unique. And I think it's, it's good of you that you, you said yes. I mean, you were asked many times uh, to try something new and, and you, you, you did it. Well, and it's, it's scary, but it's exciting and it can be fun. And that's one thing that I try and I don't always succeed, but I do try to make the best of whatever situation I'm in. And I try to keep a positive attitude. It doesn't always work. Um, sometimes the, the grumpiness comes out, but it, they've all been learning experiences. And I, I do fully believe, I'm sure people will disagree with this, but I think before that you can be a camp director, I think you should do a year in logistics or summer in logistics, I think that would be yeah. beneficial. Yeah. There's so much you learn that you didn't know you didn't know. I personally always uh, found logistics intimidating, but in a very intriguing way. Like I always wanted to like be in there more and kind of like get the behind the scenes, like what's going on. Um, Cause it's really the control center of Philmont. And um, I, I like that. I like the idea of, of somehow, yeah, working a summer in logistics or somehow being more acquainted with what happens there. I think that'd be beneficial. It is. It's a lot of fun. And it is, it is the, the control center. Like you said, it is a place that you hear everything and you know what's going on and you can't say a lot of stuff sometimes depending on what it is because. Yeah. But it's, it's definitely, uh, it, it was definitely fun. So hopping on that note, do you have any anything you can say or any fun stories from either a summer in logistics or any summer, just any fun stories you want to share? I have to take a minute on this one. I don't know if I have anything that's appropriate. Okay, that's okay. Can I ask you this? So through all my interviews, I have all these stories and maybe even legend. I don't even know if they're, they're real. People don't know, but did Jean Schnell drive a Suburban to the top of Baldy? I don't think so. I wouldn't be surprised if Doug, Doug may have, but you, you have to go up through Eagle Nest. Oh, okay. But I that makes don't sense. know if you can get to the top. Yeah. I mean, it would have to just crawl. <laughs> but I think you can get close, but I think you have to go through Eagle Nest back that way yeah. on the back side. That was one I just thought I'd ask. Um, I mean, I don't... That just anything... ...are inappropriate stories. Well, that's because they're always the best ones. Yes. <laughs> was there any... I know you've mentioned Doug Palmer a lot. Was there anyone else, or maybe it's just him, uh, who you wanted to talk about? Someone who really... Uh, challenged you and grew you and inspired you while you were at Philmont? Yes. So obviously Doug Palmer, Doug Palmer was a big, big inspiration. And, and so was Gene Schnell. Um, he, he was always very supportive of 
of whomever he worked with or encountered. And then Doug, Doug just expected you to be able to do what he wanted you to do. It never occurred to him that you couldn't do it. And so anything he asked you, it was because he knew you could do it and you wanted to do it. And so, so that was, that was amazing. Um, I worked for Rachel Rickless for a couple years and she really, she really pushed was of the mindset. You can do anything you want to do. And so that was, that was nice to have. I had, um, um, Linda Anderson. I worked for Linda in the mailroom and she was, she was also, you can do anything you want to do. And I think I've been, when I look back at, at my managers and people that I've encountered at Philmont, they've all pretty much been of the same mindset. You can do anything you want to do. That just, that helped me in life because it just never occurred to me that I couldn't do something. It didn't matter if I was a female or if I was too old, I can, I'm like, what do you mean I can't do it? Um, and and now the past several years, I've worked for Steve Nelson and he's, he's the same way. Um, of course you can do it. Why can't you do it? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, there's just been, there's so many people I could probably go on and on and on of of lots of people that I've encountered, even starting with, with Chris standard, my first tent mate. And she did, she could do anything and why can't I? And, and I think that's a lot of the females that were there at Philmont all had that same mentality. Yeah. And, and so it kind of, I think rubbed off and I I've just assumed I could do stuff. It's a, it's a great, Superpower, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I think right now, some of the things that are a little challenging for me, or I don't know if it's so much challenging for me, or maybe even a frustration, is when I first worked at Philmont, the only phones were pay phones and they were in certain locations. And there were no no computers. Your your option was to talk to people. Or to sit with it, your book in a note, you know, your nose in a book. Those were your only options. And now I see a lot of people on their on their computers, on their cell phones, and people aren't talking. Yeah. And and that that's I guess a challenge in that I would like to see more people interacting with each other and not spending so much time in technology especially at Philmont. Just sort of on that same wavelength, what is it like now? I mean, you you work with youth all the time. You're a teacher and then you you're at Philmont in the summer. What what's it like? What are the staff like today? Are they is it just, you know, the same type of amazing people that cycle through Philmont or do you see any big differences besides the technology? There definite differences. Um they are the the staff that come out that have the scouting background, I think, are have a have a love for Philmont more so maybe than the staff that don't originally have that scouting background. 
but the ones without the scouting background, I think can learn to love Philmont and have a love and keep coming back. I, I do see a little bit of a difference in probably work ethics on with some when, now when I first started, there was maybe 500 people on staff. Wow. And it's definitely grown a lot since then. We're at, you know, over a thousand people on staff. So you're definitely going to have some staff that might not be the best. Um, And it, it seemed that we worked more when I first started than we're required to work now. Um, And I think people looked at it differently back then where it wasn't work. You weren't, it was, you could have done that all day long, every seven days a week and all was well. And it seems that some staff, not all, by all means, this is, you know, I just see this in some, not all, um, that they're not as concerned maybe about working that they used to be. But the the good part is that there are still so many amazing people that come to Philmont and that work. And I have worked with so many of these people that do care about Philmont and do care about the participants and do care about giving a good program. And I'd say overall, that has not changed. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I hate to say anything about, you know, you have a few bad apples that, um, but that's not the whole by, by any means. It is, uh, I'd say overall, it's still, we still get top notch people. That's good to hear. I, I'm not surprised to hear that at all. Do you ever have uh, students that work at Philmont? I've had that's- several over the years. That's really I fun. Have fun work for me. No way. That's cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So you you still, you know, you live in Miami and you still work at Philmont, but is there anything specific that you miss uh, from everyday life as a, as a, you know, true seasonal staff member, I guess? <laughs> because I live here and, and drive by it every day. I, I do miss when I was younger and I would come out and you would meet these people and you would make friends and they would be your friends forever. And it's it's a little different now because I'm old enough to be their mother. Uh, it, it, so, when, you know, I, I'm sure they look at me as, you know, the old lady that works in the office. Um, and so that's that's a little bit, you know, that's that's kind of hard to get used to. Um, but I do I do miss the the friendships that used to form. And, and I do, I, you know, some of them, they were friends on Facebook, um, but it, it's not quite the same yeah. as the way it used to be. Yeah. Do you have any favorite memories or stories that jump out at you? They can be funny or scary or challenging or any of the above. <laughs> um, well, I probably have lots, but I know um, several people have heard the stories when, when I worked at, at Baldy and French, I know at, at Baldy, we used to hear people talking in in an area like in in the tents. And I remember um, one time I had gone up to the latrine and I was coming back down and I walked by a tent and I heard people talking. 
And I thought, why are they talking? It's the middle of the day. We have people. Why are they in the tents? And so I went and yanked open the tent flap. There's nobody there. Uh, so yeah. I'm not sure. Uh, I was just like, okay. And uh, then, uh, and, and so there was, you know, that we would hear that. Uh, and at, at French, we all had lots of experiences and I had, I had several, one of which in the, um, I slept in the main cabin with my PC and, and our beds were perpendicular, perpendicular to each other. And I woke up one time and there was somebody standing over my PC. Um, a man was standing over and I, I sat up and he's standing over her and leaning down, looking at her. And I started, you know, yelling, Georgia, Georgia, wake up, Georgia, you know, and then he just disappeared. I have goosebumps. <laughs> oh, wow. So, uh, you know, and then there was another time when I woke up and there was a man's face in my face. And, and I did that panic, scared breathing. And then he kind of moved away and it felt like he sat on the bed because you could feel the bed kind of, you know, how somebody sits on it and it kind of goes down a little bit. And I remember then I just thought, I guess he's going to stay a while. And I just felt okay. And I rolled over and I went back to sleep. Oh, there, there, yes, there's tons. Um, George and I, anytime, oh my gosh, we had visitors all the time up there and there's not a lot of flat space. And so sometimes they'd sleep in the, in the cook area of the main cabin, which was, you know, the only thing between where we slept and them was that little wood partition. And so they'd sleep on the floor and they would complain about the fact it was so cold, but George and I were not, we were quite toasty warm. So we just figured that the ghosts didn't like them sleeping in there. Interesting. And they just made them suffer. <laughs> they just froze them out. <laughs> yep. I mean, they're just, I mean, we could just keep going. I think we had an experience almost like every night or every other night. But it never freaked you out enough to, I don't know, do uh, leave or do, I mean, what would you do? I guess it just, you... no, hey, it just, it felt welcoming, I guess. It wasn't a scary kind of, of feeling and, and we were all okay with it. And, and people that would come would tell us stories about what they saw or what they heard. And do you think it's the ghost of French Henry? I, I don't know the history or I is it? I don't think it is. He died, I believe in California. Okay. That, yeah, I do think one of the other interviewees oh. mentioned that, but yeah, I wonder who's up there then. I don't know. He, um, he had a dark beard. That's all I yeah. remember offhand. That's wild. That's wild. Do you um do you get into the backcountry much anymore? I mean in the summer times or or I guess anytime. Well, in in the winter we go out and cut wood wood all the time. So I get out there a lot in the winter. But I did this summer I actually made it because I had not been to Metcalf or Chase Cow. And so I got to, um, or Cimarron Sita. 
And I got to all three of those this summer, along with some other places. But I did get to go up to, and I will say with Medcalf, it, you know, when you, when you've worked at Philmont for so long and then you, you hike into, or you drive into these camps, you say, oh, there's camp such and such. And, you know, it's the camp, but never having seen Medcalf. And then I don't know if you've been up there, but when we drove up there and all of a sudden you see the buildings, it was just like I was headed back in time. It was, it was, and being the first time that I'd seen it, it, it was, it was a really neat experience to, it, it wasn't like you were going to a Philmont backcountry camp. I, I felt like I just went back in time to a train station and, and that little town. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I have not been there. So hopefully someday soon I can make it, make it to Metcalf. I hear a lot of great things about it. So um, come this summer, I'll take you out there. Okay, I am coming out there this summer, so we'll go on a ride. <laughs> we will. We will. Living in Miami and working in Cimarron, I drive by Philmon every day. So I get to see the tents go down, the tents come up. in um, you know, it's it's exciting to see when you drive by and the tents are up and um, or the staff parking lot starts to have cars. And it, so it's exciting to know that the summer is coming and and Philmont is getting getting ready to gear up and and then just the reverse as as the tents come down in the parking lot there's a lot less cars in the parking lot um, it's it's so that's kind of neat and and periodically not so much unfortunately because of COVID I don't do this so much but I used to stop by periodically I'd stop by and go in the office and visit. In the off season, because my hus- husband retired from Philmont, we can go out and get wood. So we go out and we get wood. We can go out um, holidays sometimes and, and camp if we want. So so it's kind of nice that I can go out and and be in the backcountry even in the off season. And it's kind of neat because it's just us. It has a different feel than when you live somewhere else and you come to Philmont because that excitement of seeing the tooth and seeing the mountains and you're almost there and I'm always here. So the, it's a different type of excitement when things gear up. When you live with something every day, you're grateful for it in a different way. And then seeing like the cyclical nature of how it, it moves throughout the seasons, I'm sure is really, it's, it's probably just a gift. It's probably a lot of fun to be able to witness. It is. I'm glad you did it. You know, I love how you just knew you wanted to move to New Mexico from Tennessee because Tennessee is beautiful too. So um, I'm glad you did it. I'm glad you, you're you there. Do you want to nominate anybody to be on the show? Well, I think I, I was thinking about this and if they have not already been asked, there's, there's a few people. I think Angela Foster Hathaway, she pretty much grew up at Philmont. Her dad, Jim Foster, was the base camp manager for a lot of years. And then she married Lee Hadaway, who also would be one that, that I could recommend. And they both live in Trinidad. Yes. Uh, uh, one of their daughters worked for me at Philmont. So yeah. Yes. Yes. And Lee was my first friend at Philmont. Uh, so we've been friends for a long time. 
Gotcha. And then I don't know if this is for summer staff only or or permanent staff, but Nate Lay, because Nate has he he's been in the backcountry, he's been camp director, he worked at the Double H. I believe he's the backcountry manager and then permanent staff on Philmont now. Just for fun, do you ever keep with you when you go out and about in the backcountry? Do you have an 11th essential? Anything practical or maybe sentimental that you take with you when you're out in the woods? <laughs> uh, because I don't go out there too much anymore. Um, my water bottle, and actually, I probably don't even take the 10 essentials. I take my water bottle and my raincoat. That's pretty much. Yeah. I mean, when you've got a vehicle, you're kind of like good to go. Yep. Yeah. That's okay. I just like to ask that one sometimes. Sometimes people have funny things they uh, bring with them. Well, um, I, did, I did have this little, um, this little Odie, Garfield and Odie, this little Odie doll, dog, that I stuffed dog that uh, it has a, and it still does, has a um, fish hook that I made at fish camp. And I used to hike with that. I love those little kind of totems that people, sometimes you see them on people's packs and um, I think it's sweet and just kind of like uh, youthful. It's fun. Do you have any, anything you want to close on? Like, do you want to close with, I don't know, any tips or advice or anything to people maybe considering working at Philmont, moving to New Mexico? I don't know. Anything that from a takeaway from your life experience out there? I think it, it, when you come to Philmont, I think you need to understand that, yes, it's a job. Yes, you have a responsibility to do. But you also need to have fun. You need to meet people. You need to get out don't just hang with your the people you work with. Get out and meet other people. Don't spend time only on the cell phone or computer. Get out there, work hard, play hard, have fun. I love it. I love that. Uh, final question: Do you do you have any specific memorabilia or object? whether it's in your house or your office at school, that is really meaningful to you that's Philmont related? You know, having my husband, having worked at Philmont, me worked out that me working out there for so long. And then us living here, I see Philmont all the time, but we still have a few knickknacks, I think sitting around. Obviously I have lots of t-shirts that are packed away. <laughs> I think it's it's sweet how people adorn their space uh, with with those Philmont memories. Even even you you know who live you live there and see it every day, but um, it's fun to keep it near and dear to your heart. It is, and you know I will I will always love Philmont.
Hey, everybody. Thanks again for listening. So as promised, and because Julie shared some fun, spooky stories from the mining camps, here is another preview from our upcoming album that we are scheduled to release end of February, beginning of March. So keep an eye out for some great new Philmont tunes coming your way. And it's dark as a dungeon and damp as the dew. Danger is double and the pleasures are few Where the rain never falls and the sun never shines It's dark as a dungeon way down